everyone. Welcome to Starting Strong, the Clemson Foothills Church podcast. I'm not 100% sure why it's called Starting Strong, but presumably it's because you're supposed to start your day with it. So, good morning. My name is Joshua Fairchild, and I'm a part of the Clemson Foothills Church. Normally, church members are able to share what we've been learning about and studying as a part of our Sunday morning communion. It's been a bit more difficult to make that happen with the online services, but today I get to share what I've been learning about via podcast. So as a church, we've been studying through Ruth and gender roles. Specifically, Ruth has been cool for me because it occurs during the time of the judges, which I've been going through on my own, while on the side I've been reading and rereading Zephaniah. So I'm going to talk briefly about what I'm learning from both of them, but probably spending more time in Zephaniah because it's more relevant to my life. But I'm starting in Judges. So Judges occurs in the time after Israel has left Egypt and settled in the Promised Land, which is still roughly today the country of Israel. They are led out of Egypt by Moses. When he dies, his apprentice, Joshua, son of Nun, takes over leading the Israelites. When Joshua dies, he leaves Israel without a unified leader. Now, this is the way God had designed the nation of Israel to be. King David later is a great king and Christ-like figure, but God did not want Israel to have a leader other than himself. We see this in 1 Samuel 8. So the intent is that the Israelites follow God instead of a king, but they're unfaithful and end up cycling through obedience and disobedience. During the book of Judges, when the Israelites or certain tribes within Israel become corrupted toward the practices of the people around them, God gives them over to these people. We see the people groups around Israel ruling over them, and their independence is pretty fluid. Once the Israelites repent and call on God for help, God raises up judges to bring them out of oppression and lead them for a time. So these judges are, for the most part, military leaders of a somewhat unified Israel. Now, the tragic endgame of judges is that the Israelites never learn and just get stuck in this loop. The text ends with the explicit statement that Israel had no king, and this is meant as a deeper reference to their moral depravity away from God. And truthfully, this is the cycle the Israelites continue in until Jesus comes. Ultimately, they beg God for a king, he gives it to them, and surprise, Not only do the people have to be obedient to a king, but the spiritual health of Israel oscillates largely in step with the spiritual health of its king. So one of the interesting observations I've gotten from the book of Judges isn't specifically about any of these judges or what they've accomplished. I've taken note of God's time frame in some of these stories, specifically in two of them. The first of these is Abimelech out of Judges 9. So Abimelech is a bad guy. He's a son of Gideon, who is a judge. Gideon is one of the more commonly known judges. He routes an army with only 300 people. But Abimelech takes the town of Shechem by force. He makes himself king by killing all of Gideon's other sons, roughly 70 of them, but misses one named Jotham. And the elders of Shechem actually hire him to do this, and the citizens go with it. Jotham, the only son that lives, prophesies against Abimelech and Shechem and says that if they've acted unfaithfully, they'll be punished. After three years of Abimelech ruling, the people of Shechem turn on him, and the elders plot to overthrow him. Abimelech kills pretty much the entire town, and then he himself is killed by a neighboring town. The second of these stories that I want to look at is Jephthah, out of Judges 11 and 12. So Abimelech was a bad guy, Jephthah's kind of an okay guy. I'm saying this knowing full well that he's a judge of Israel, but he really has a questionable character, and he's kind of just on the right side. He's the son of a prostitute, and because of that, he's driven out of his hometown by his own brothers and forced to fend for himself. 
He creates a group of bandits that start raiding towns in the land of Tob. We're not really sure where this is, but given the seas west of Israel, it's probably got to be east. Um, these same people that drove him out come back to him after he's militarily cut his teeth in Tob, since they need someone experienced to lead them against the Ammonites who are fighting against Israel. Now, after he comes back, he conquers the Ammonites, which is a good thing, but sacrifices his daughter, which is bad. Fights against the Ephraimites, which are another Israelite clan. It's kind of debatable. They're picking a fight, but it's kind of a bit of an overreaction. Uh, my, my point with these two stories is that Abimelech was punished after three years, and Jephthah was vindicated after being gone long enough to make a name for himself somewhere else. To do something like Abimelech and be prophesied against, but have nothing happen for three years, you would probably assume that you got away with it. Meanwhile, to be thrown out of town long enough to live somewhere else and build a reputation, you'd probably assume that you'd been forgotten about at home. So good or bad, God does not forget about who you are because he's not operating on our time. And my point with that is that as disciples, we need to have patience and operate in God's time rather than on our own time. Our goal in life is to spread the gospel. Now, this may not look like what we expect or go as quickly as we expect it to, but we have to be comfortable with whatever circumstances accompany it. So my wife and I are at this point where we're a few years out of college and are in that weird 20-something stage of life. We're still living in Clemson, the town we graduated from, while most of our friends have moved. We've made new friendships and relationships, but sometimes I can still feel this restlessness, like I'm being left behind. But we need to have patience. We need to be okay with where we're at and be comfortable in the gospel. Now, the key word there being comfortable in the gospel, which leads me over to the second book I've been reading, Zephaniah. So Zephaniah is a minor prophet occurring during the time of Josiah, king of Judah. Israel had developed a king and then split the kingdom between the upper kingdom, known as Israel, and the lower kingdom, known as Judah. The lower kingdom consisted of the tribe of Judah and the remnant of Benjamin, which is largely destroyed at the end of the book of Judges. So Josiah, the king, instituted a lot of religious reform. They find what is presumably the book of Deuteronomy hidden away in the temple. They do things like observe Passover for the first time since the book of Judges. You can read all about this stuff in 2 Kings 22 and 23 area. So Josiah does some great stuff, but this also shows how much Israel had regressed since the time of the Judges, which really wasn't a great starting point to begin with. But a lot of this is too little too late. In 2 Kings 23-26, we see that God is still angry with Judah. Once again, he does not forget. So Zephaniah is a book prophesying this coming judgment on Judah. Specifically, it calls out Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, but also expands the prophecy of destruction and call to repentance for anyone who's listening. So I'm admittedly going to cherry-pick a verse out of here. It's a verse that's really stuck with me, and that's Zephaniah 1.12. Reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it's... And at this time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, the Lord will not do good or evil. So today we tend to associate being comfortable with something good and maybe even noble. It's the wholesome, simple life attitude. Things like I don't want much. I'm not greedy. I don't want big or flashy things. I just want to live a comfortable life. I want to sleep easy at night knowing I have enough money in the bank and food in my pantry. We commonly associate comfortability with financial security. But Zephaniah uses the word in a broader sense that certainly includes finances, but isn't limited to it. It could refer to comfortability in many aspects of our lives. It could be finances. It could be friendships. It could be our job. It could be our marriage. It could be our daily routine. He speaks about it in a light where we can't be this way. 
In this passage, God is punishing people who live comfortably. Now, the NIV uses the word complacent in place of comfortable. It says, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. I feel like comfortability brings us more personally into the message because it's a friendlier term. No one wants to describe themselves as complacent. But complacency really describes the heart of what's being communicated. And if your comfort is in something other than God, then from a religious point of view, comfort and complacency mean the same thing. The people in this passage do not believe God will do anything. It says they do not believe God will do good or evil. And this is kind of agnosticism veiled in religion where God isn't involved and doesn't actually care. Ultimately, it boils down to these people having no faith and no fear. There's no faith that God will do anything good if they're uncomfortable, and there's no fear that God will do anything to punish them for being comfortable. It's up to them to look out for themselves. And so this comfortability that Zephaniah condemns is finding comfort and security in something other than God. So looking at these two contrasting points, as Christians, we need to have uncomfortable patience. We have hopes as disciples that we are waiting for. The foundation of our faith is that what we have now is not best. And we have to wait patiently for this greater fulfillment that we know from the New Testament to be fully realized in the kingdom of God. But in this patience, we can't get comfortable. We can't lose sight of what we're waiting for and why. So I personally tend to go more to the comfortable end, the more complacent end. I've never wanted a lot of money or a big house or a lot of friends, but that likely just means that I'm more comfortable with less. Looks and even our attitudes can be deceiving, but in the end of the day, it's about where we place our security. And as Christians, our security is in our faith. And this is the push and pull. We try to be patient, we try to wait, and we try to be okay with our circumstances, but then we get too okay. Or the opposite is that we're so uncomfortable that we're restless and we can't wait to move on to the next event or the next stage of life thing to do, people to reach, and we forget that we're God's servants, and our role is to be available and to do what he wants us to do, which oftentimes is right in front of us. And so two questions to take from this is, one, am I patient? Am I willing to wait on God and be content with where he's put me right now? And the second is, am I comfortable? Maybe I was at this patient point, but I've stopped waiting. Or maybe I've never really busted out of being comfortable, and I'm just living in this comfort zone that doesn't really stretch my faith. So I want to end this here with Proverbs 16.9, which says, A person's heart plans his ways, but Yahweh determines his steps. And so with that, I hope you all have a good rest of your day.